Will you please turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 Peter 5, and we want everybody to be able to follow along as we look at the first five verses of that chapter. So these brothers have some Bibles, they're going to make their way toward the back, get their attention. If you'd like to follow along and have a copy of the Scriptures, you can keep that Bible as our gift to you. We want everybody to own a copy of God's Word, and those are marked for you at 1 Peter 5, so you can turn right to the passage. We have made it to the fifth and final chapter in our study of 1 Peter. So over the next few weeks, we will conclude this uh, very helpful, I trust to you as to me, book in God's Word. As we approach the Thanksgiving holiday and I reflect on God's goodness to me, I have many, many things for which I'm thankful to our great God. I thank Him for placing me in a family that raised me in the church and modeled for me a love for God's church. I thank Him for giving me spiritual life at the age of 19. I thank Him for calling me to pastoral ministry shortly thereafter, and for allowing me to train for that ministry, and for the church's confirmation of that calling and ordination. I thank the Lord for directing my circumstances, so that 12 years ago He led in the planting of this church. It's been one of the great joys of my life to be a part of what He has done and is doing and I am convinced is going to do in and through us in the years ahead. And I thank Him that this ministry has not only been a blessing to me, but to Kim and to our girls. God has given our family a love for His church in general and for this church in particular. And I suppose that my gratitude for this church and our family's role in it is as deep as it is, partly because I know it's not always that way, not for the pastor, nor sometimes for his wife, and sometimes, even often, not for the children. What God has designed to be a chief means of His grace, the relationship between pastors and the flock it often descends into disgrace and headache, heartache and pain that lasts for a lifetime. I have heard the testimonies of men who have been broken in the pastor. I've heard the anguished regret and tinge of bitterness in the voice of a pastor's wife who was mistreated by the very people she sought to serve. I've heard the stories of pastor's kids who recount what they experienced as the church's relationship with their dad went south. I've I've heard personally several wives and children say that they will never forget that final congregational meeting when all the venom and anger and hurtful words spewed out toward their dad and sometimes toward them. God's design is beautiful, but sin messes things And as sinful people, we have the destructive capacity to day by day, month by month, little by little, one slight at a time, one word of gossip at a time, one angry flash at a time, we have the capacity to build a reservoir of bitterness that only awaits an occasioning event to boil over. 
And the landscape of American Christianity is littered with splintered churches and fractured relationships that at one time were a great source of joy for all who were involved. And that's why, dear friends, I remind you and myself every year at our anniversary dinner, our celebration dinner, I remind us to, in the words of Ephesians 4 and verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Now relax just a bit. I'm not saying this because there's a particular problem in our church. I'm saying it because yet again we come to a passage today in 1 Peter chapter 5 in which God addresses relationships in His church. And He addresses especially the relationship between pastors and congregation, between shepherds and sheep. You see, there is a very real sense in which the local church is the hope of the world. And so the gracious God who ordained that church to be so deeply cares about its well-being. So much so so that He warns over and over in Scripture about the need for quality relationships that emulate the humble character of Christ. And that responsibility begins with those of us who are given the privilege of leading God's church. Notice verse 1 of 1 Peter chapter 5. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders, all of you. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. So most of today's message is directed at at me and Pastor Matt. And since some of what I'll say is autobiographical, I won't always mention Pastor Matt, but the instruction in these verses applies directly to both of us. And then by extension to those who help us shepherd the flock, especially the good men on our leadership team. Now chapter 5 and verse 1 connects to the verses that precede that we saw three weeks ago before I left for China. It connects because it actually begins in Greek with a word that's not in your English translation. It begins with the word therefore. And so, therefore, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder. And so now it's drawing a a conclusion and giving some responsibilities based upon what's been said before. And what's been said before, going back to verse 17. I don't expect that anybody will remember three weeks ago, but going back to verse 17, Peter said, it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And so if God's discipline is going to come upon His church, it's going to begin with His leaders. Therefore, to the elders now, I appeal as a fellow elder. As God disciplines His church, He does as He always does. He begins with the leadership. Now, why is that? 
Well, first, it's because from God's perspective, everything falls on leadership. Now, you all have heard the phrase before, everything rises and falls on leadership. But I said it that way on purpose. Everything falls on leadership. Because the truth is, the things can fall apart due to our sin. But they can only rise due to God's grace. So it's not really the case that everything rises on leadership. Everything rises on the grace of God. And yes, He uses leadership in order to carry that out. But from our standpoint, it really falls as we sin and fail to carry out our responsibilities that God has given us as leaders. So in the first part of your Bible, the Old Testament, God warned against shepherds who would fail to properly shepherd God's flock. Through Ezekiel, God says this. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat and clothe yourselves, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And so this passage now in 1 Peter chapter 5 deals with relationships in God's church. And it begins with pastors and is aimed mostly at us because spiritually healthy leadership is crucial to the spiritual health of God's people. But there's a second reason that after God says discipline begins with the household of God in chapter 4 and verse 17... He then focuses on the quality of the church's relationships. It's not only because everything falls on leadership, but also because difficulty breeds dissension. Pressure creates problems. And you need to remember that the people to whom Peter is writing are under increasing duress from the society around them, a society that is hostile to their message and to their lifestyle. And so this places God's people under pressure, and pressure exposes problems, especially in relationships. And so through then the pen of Peter, God gives these instructions, beginning with leadership, but then in verse 5, extending to the rest of the congregation, that you must, you must have Christ-like, humble relationships with one another if you are going to forge ahead in an otherwise hostile world carrying out my work. So let's ask God to help us as we look at these five verses together. Father, we thank you that we can come together as your people and to look into your word and to be instructed. Thank you, Lord, for your grace in instructing us. You know, omniscient God, all-knowing God, exactly what we need when we need it. And so we pray that your words will be a balm to our soul, instruction to our minds and to our hearts. Help us to to take them in and to apply them so that we can better glorify you in the weeks, months, and years ahead. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. We have an outline, as each week, inserted in your program. If you don't have that out already, I encourage you to take a look at that. And from these first four verses, we want to see what God says about pastors. And he says in these four verses that pastors must serve God's people. 
Then we're going to see particularly how God says they are to serve God's people. Verse 1 again, To the elders among you I appeal as a fellow elder and witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. So pastors must serve God's people. And firstly, here's how they need to serve. They need to serve seriously. Pastors must serve seriously. And I say it that way for this reason. Peter begins by saying, I appeal. And the Greek word that's translated, I appeal, is the Greek word parakaleo. It means literally to call alongside. One commentator has pointed out that it envisions a father calling a son alongside for admonition, encouragement, correction, appeal, exhortation. It's a word that's filled with a sense of urgency. In fact, in some contexts, you could translate it, I beg you. So to the elders among you, I beg you, in light of the seriousness of the situation of the church in a fallen world and the work that has been given, calling given to God's church, I I beg you, I urge you, I admonish you, I encourage you. And so it is telling us that we pastors must understand the seriousness of our leadership position and the fact that God begins with us when He evaluates the health of His church. Peter issued these instructions as a fellow elder rather than from the higher position that he held, that of an apostle. Now, most of you are aware that the position of apostle in the New Testament was special. Only those who had been with Jesus in his earthly ministry could be an apostle, and they were given a special ministry in the establishment of God's church. And that's why when the apostles chose a twelfth, to their number. In Acts chapter 1, here's what the Bible says the requirement was. Peter said, this very same Peter who wrote this book, Peter said, it's necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So an apostle had a number of qualifications, but one of those, one of the chief qualifications, is it had to have been someone who accompanied the Lord Jesus in his earthly ministry and was a witness to his death and his resurrection. Peter was one of this special group of twelve. He was not only one of this select group, but he was part of a smaller group of three. So throughout the Gospels, as we read about the ministry of Jesus, we find him often taking aside three of his twelve apostles, Peter James, and John. So Peter could pull rank here as he writes to these elders. He could issue these commands from his exalted position as one of a very select group of leaders. He's already identified himself as an apostle, the very first verse of this letter. He says, Peter, an apostle. But now he explicitly lays that authority aside and he speaks to the elders as one of them. He speaks to them collegially rather than condescendingly. And here's why. It's because character and function are more important than position and title. Character and function are more important than position and title. Who you are and what you do are more important than where your name is on the org chart and what you're called. 
And in taking this humble approach, Peter's modeling what he's going to command then of fellow elders, but also what he's going to command, as we'll see, from all church members. So even though I'm an apostle, Peter is saying, and therefore I am a witness of the sufferings and will share in the glory to be revealed, you too, fellow elders, are going to share in that glory according to verse 4. Because if you serve in the way that I'm going to instruct you, you will receive a crown that will never fade away. And so we are equal in that sense. God has given us different roles to play. Our position is different, but our function is the same. To lead and to care for God's people. So Peter tells us in verse 1, pastors must serve God's people seriously. And then secondly, Pastors must serve fully. Verse 2, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. Now, thus far, I've been saying pastors, and in fact, in your outline, it says pastors must serve seriously and serve fully, even though in the passage, it's addressed to elders. Now, why have I been doing that? Why am I saying pastors, and yet in these four verses, it's addressed to to elders? Well, here's why. In this passage, Peter uses three terms that apply to the same people. He calls them elders, but then in verse 2, he says, be shepherds. And that's the word from which we get uh, pastor, pastoring. Be shepherds or be pastors of God's flock that's under your care. And then he says, watching over them. That is, overseeing them. And so some translations will say that, being overseers. And so here you have elders, you have pastors, you have overseers. All three of those terms refer to different responsibilities, all given to the same person. And so you can use those terms interchangeably as Scripture does. Elders, pastors, overseers. And it's not just in 1 Peter 5 that we see this. In Acts chapter 20, we have the same thing. There, the Bible tells us Paul sent for the elders of the church. And he said to them, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God which he bought with his own blood. Now notice, again, talking to the same group of people, but they are elders, they are overseers, they are shepherds. And, if, and by the way, if you understand this, you'll understand why it's so confusing in the church landscape. You know, you go, what's an Episcopalian church? Well, it comes from this Greek word that's buried in this passage, translated overseers, episkopos. I have it there for you. It's translated bishops, and it has to do with how the, how the Episcopalian church then is structured under, under bishops. Uh, or the Presbyterian church. Presbuteros is the Greek word for, for elders. But the mistake, and I say, this, I say this kindly, but the mistake, those who structure the church in a way that differentiates between bishops and elders or pastors and elders, the mistake that's made is that the Bible addresses these all as the same person. These are all addressed to the same people, but these are different functions carried out by those same people. And so these pastors, these elders, these overseers must serve fully. Now, what does that mean? 
the shepherding, pastoring function of elders is twofold, and I have it in your outline. They have to do two things. They have to first feed. Feed. And Peter knows all about this, need to feed God's flock. Because you remember this very famous episode with Peter and Jesus? After Peter had denied the Lord three times, then the Lord Jesus graciously restores him to ministry. And we have this scene recorded in John chapter 21 that tells us when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Peter, Do you love me more than these? More than these what? Well, you'd have to be there to know, did Jesus point when he said these? And we don't know. So it could be, do you love me more than these people? It could be, and I tend to think is, that Jesus had just told them, cast your nets here and pull in these fish. And they brought in, and in fact, John counts them. He tells us, 153 fish. And then they fry up some of those fish and they they eat them. And Jesus says, Peter, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than the stuff that I give you? And he says, if you do, then feed my lambs. He asks him a second time. If you do, Peter, take care of my sheep. And a third time, and by the third time, the Bible tells us in John 21, Peter was becoming annoyed. Lord, you know that that I do. But Jesus says a third time now, feed my sheep. Now, why does Jesus go through this three times? You gave three denials, and I am reinstating you three times. And so in giving these instructions to these elders, Peter's fulfilling the very thing that Jesus told him to do now, feed my sheep. He's feeding these elders who in turn now are going to feed God's sheep. And feed them what? Feed them on the Word of God. Feed them the nutrition that comes from the very words of God given to us in in Holy Scripture. Pastors are to serve fully, and fully means feeding the flock of God. But it also means they they must lead. They must feed, and they must lead. Now, I'll talk about what that is in just a moment. And I probably shouldn't tell you this story, but maybe it'll wake you up. But I was asked years ago at our parent church to uh, come and talk to our children's church, junior church kids, and describe for them what a pastor does. Now, I'm not good at teaching anybody under junior high age. I'm not very good at junior high or senior high age for that matter, but certainly elementary age is out of my league. But nonetheless, I was asked to do it. And so I thought to myself, how can I explain this? And I said, you know, feeding and leading. And I talked about the fact that pastors are shepherd and the congregation are sheep and we're to feed the sheep. And the kids are listening to me. And all of a sudden, one little boy on the front row goes, Bah! (laughs) And I would have been okay with one sheep buying. (laughs) Then the whole group starts buying. And the guy who had asked me to come and do this is standing in the back just laughing, not helping me at all. So thank you for not emulating that. Pastors must feed and they must lead. The Bible tells us 
a number of times throughout the New Testament that those who are to lead God's church are put in positions of leadership are to, in fact, lead. 1 Timothy 5.17 says this, Elders direct the affairs of the church. Hebrews 13 and verse 17, Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Now, let me, I told you some of this will be autobiographical. Let me just tell you uh, the, the truth as best I can about this whole leading bit that pastors are given to do. It would be much easier not to do that. Much easier. There are times when I'm tempted not to do that. When I'm tempted to say, whatever you all want to do. But that would be reneging on what God has said you've got to do. You've got to lead. It's easier not to, but God says you must. Now, I say that for this reason, because most of us do what we like to do. And so we assume if you do it, you must like it. But the truth is, some of us do what we must even when we don't like it. And sometimes we must take a position and say, this is what we need to do. You might like to walk away and simply say, what do you all want to do? It would make it easier. It would certainly make you more popular. But we don't really have that option. God says, you feed and you lead and you direct the affairs of the church. Now, he's going to tell us, as we're going to see momentarily, that you do that with a particular approach and a particular kind of an attitude and a particular kind of Christ-likeness. That is a great challenge. But you do not have the option of saying, I'm not going to lead. Now, points C, D, and E in your outline contain this attitude with which then pastors are to carry out this feeding and leading function. And these three points contain three pitfalls that impair elders' readiness to do what God has called us to do. These three pitfalls are are duty and greed and misuse of power, and that's why in point C, the Bible's telling us that pastors must serve not only seriously and fully, but voluntarily, voluntarily. Because verse 2 says, Be shepherds, watch over, but do all of this not because you must, but because you are willing. There are some who enter the ministry because of the expectations of others. And they never have the character to realize this was not what I was called to do and to get out. There are some who stay in the ministry because of the expectations of others, but their heart is not in it. I read an article, a blog post this past week about pastors who often complain about their job and and, and how hard it is. And I've had people from time to time over the years ask me about that. You must have, that must be very difficult, take the cares, you know, of a congregation on, take that home with you and, and so on. But my answer has always been and still is that it's not any harder than what a faithful person in God's church does. And we are blessed with many faithful people here who sacrifice their time 
to serve God with their talents in the role that God has assigned to them. And that's what he's given me. That's what he's given Pastor Matt to do. And so you won't hear any complaints out of me regarding what God has has called me to do. His grace is sufficient for what he's called us to do and what he's called you to do as, as well. And we voluntarily serve in this capacity. And it is a privilege to serve in this capacity. And so pastors do not serve primarily out of duty, but we do so voluntarily, Peter says. And not for greed, but in your outline, I say we must serve gladly. Because verse 2 says, not because you must, because you're willing, and not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Now, when he says dishonest gain, he's not forbidding pay for pastors. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 1 Timothy chapter 5, both teach that paying pastors to support them and their families is a good and right thing. But Peter's talking about a particular kind of gain, a shameful gain. And it's warned about in the qualification lists for elders in Titus chapter 1 and 1 Timothy chapter 3. It was a frequent problem of false teachers who were in it not for God's people and not for the glory of God, but for what they could get out of it. And eagerly, at the end of verse 2, means we're doing it for the love of God and the gospel, not the love of money. We are to be faithful ministers, not ruthless mercenaries. And I've seen Christian workers sometimes manipulate their situation by poor-mouthing in front of other people in order to manipulate things to be given to them. I've seen this and heard this. Now, this is a good time for me to say, as I've said in the past, this church is very generous to me and to Pastor Matt. And I thank God for the generosity of this church, seeing the necessity of supporting our families so that we can then carry on the work to which God has called us. And so we're to serve voluntarily and we're to serve gladly. And then verse 3 says that we don't serve out of duty, but we do it voluntarily, not out of greed, but gladly, and not misusing our power, but serving persuasively. Verse 3, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Now, some say, and I've heard this over the years, pastors don't have any authority. Well, we've already seen in 1 Timothy 5.17 that pastors are to direct the affairs of the church. Hebrews 13.17, obey those who have authority over you. And so, indeed, elders, pastors, overseers have this God-given authority. And the truth is, friends, you can't abuse what you don't have. If you don't have authority and you try to exercise it, you're not abusing authority, you're usurping somebody else's authority. You're not misusing your authority because you don't have any, you're taking someone else's. But in the case of elders, it is indeed possible to misuse and abuse authority because they do indeed have it. So God has given it, He has given it for His good purposes, but in our sin we can misuse that power. Theologian Wayne Grudem says this can take all kinds of forms. Being arbitrary, being arrogant, being selfish, excessively restrictive in our rules, 
using threats, emotional intimidation, flaunting power, using political force within the church. And unfortunately, all of these things are present in various forms in God's church, and he, he hates it. Jesus rebuked this kind of leadership, and he told his disciples to pursue another kind of leadership. And so you may remember Jesus saying to them, he called them together and he said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. But not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. And here's why. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So God has no place in my ministry, in Pastor Matt's ministry, in the ministry of pastors and elders for manipulation, for intimidation, for threats, for political power to be used. But to persuade by our words, by our example, and then in times where we have to make a decision, to make that decision, but to do so in the humility of Christ. And so pastors must serve seriously, fully, voluntarily, gladly, persuasively. And then verse 4 tells us that we're to serve expectantly, expectantly. Verse 4 says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. As in verse 1, verse 4 is telling us that suffering is followed always by glory. And while elders, like God's people in general, are exposed to suffering, and perhaps, and certainly in some situations, like I was just with these brothers in China, in the persecution that they endure, it usually comes to the pastors first. And so sometimes pastors have increased suffering, depending on the situation. But there is always the promise of a job well done and the unfading crown of glory. And in New Testament times, a crown of leaves was given for athletic victories or military victories. But of course, those would soon fade. But according to verse 4, we will receive a crown. Thanks be to God that will never fade away. So that's what God says about healthy relationships in His church, beginning with leadership. And this is the kind of attitude with which we, we must lead. And the truth is, I fail at that. There are times where I have had to go to people in the church and say, forgive me. Forgive me for not responding the way Christ would respond. Forgive me for not modeling Christ-likeness in my interactions with you. And not only have I had to do that in the past, I will undoubtedly have to do that in the future. And so I ask you this, dear flock, pray for me, pray for Pastor Matt. And how can you pray for us? Let me give you some ways. Pray that we would always have a heart to shepherd God's people. Always a heart to shepherd God's people, that we would not pastor under compulsion. Never reach the place where we've lost our love for it, and do it only because it's expected. 
Pray that we'll be protected from the love of money. That we will be models of humility. But pray as well that we will lead. Even when it's hard. Almost done. And pray that we'll know the difference. Pray that I will know the difference between leading and forcing. It's hard to know sometimes. It takes wisdom. Wisdom that sometimes I have and sometimes I don't. And so pray that, that I'll know the difference. So that's how you can pray for us. How can you help us? Well, by praying for us. And by responding to God's Word when it's fed. And here's another way that you can help us. And we can help each other. It's by confronting sin. And that means sin in our lives. If I fail to model Jesus, then you have a responsibility and I ask you to tell me that. And if I don't respond like Jesus would respond, then you tell me that. And if I don't respond, then you, then you tell the deacons that. And, and, if I, and, if, and if I or Pastor Matt will not listen to them, guess what? Jesus has got a process for dealing with this. And it includes pastors as well. So confront sin in our lives, in our lives. So pastors must serve God's people. But then this passage goes on in verse 5 to talk about relationships extending not now just from pastors, starting with pastors, starting with leaders, but then to everyone in the church. And verse 5 tells us young people must follow their pastors. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. Now, now why pick on the young? Have you ever noticed that there are characteristic sins at certain times of life? And you think about it. You think about teenagers. Teenagers, think about teenagers. And what kinds of characteristic sins do teenagers or temptations do teenagers have? I mean, you could make a list of those, couldn't you? And there were temptations that I had and you had in your youth that aren't the same kinds of temptations for you now. You've got different ones. And so, older people. What are, what are the characteristic sins of older people? I mean, one of them is you just earned the right to complain. Right? So that stuff in the Bible about not complaining anymore, you know, that stops when you hit 60. When you start getting Medicare, 65, you can complain. There's just, the Bible says of, of young people, flee youthful lusts. So why does verse 5 say then, young, those of you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders? It's because the characteristic sins of youth are rebellion and arrogance. 
This is why the Bible warns not to put a a novice, a new convert in leadership, lest he be lifted up with pride. So if we're going to have the right kinds of relationships that model Christ-like humility in the church, it starts with leaders, but then it extends to those in the congregation. Young people need to then follow their, their leaders. And then thirdly in your outline, everyone must defer to others. The last part of verse 5, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud, but He shows favor to the humble. Humility is a prerequisite for unity. A church cannot be unified unless it is comprised of humble people. People who, because they are humble, consider others better. People who, because they are humble, do not emphasize difference, but are commonalities in Christ. Not what I do better than you, not how much better I am than you. Humble people don't think that way. They think about our commonalities in Christ, and then it becomes the basis then for our unity. Humility is a prerequisite for unity. And so every one of us is to defer to the needs of others. Let me give you an example. When there's a need in our church, because we are unified and unified because we are humble, when we put out a notice that says there's a need of whatever type, your first question is not, how much do I like that person? Or do I have a tight relationship with that person? Here's what you need to know. That person is part of this body. That's all you need to know. And then the only question is, can I help and how can I help? Because we defer to others. And we don't emphasize our differences, but stress our commonalities. And so what is Peter telling us then in all of this? I was going to say a bunch about God opposing the proud and all of that, but alas, I'm out of time. And everybody turned, there's an automatic mental clock that goes off at 1045. I know this. Pastor Matt, Pastor Matt is shaking his head. Yes. Pastor Matt's mental clock goes off for, uh, I won't say. So here's the take-home truth. Every church member should actively pursue harmony with one another. Dear friends, if we do that, if God's leaders lead in the way that Peter has outlined, if God's people follow in the way that Peter has outlined, if we defer to one another, preferring others better than ourselves, the next several years are going to be a great time to see what God does in and through this church. I look forward to being a part of that. But... We can mess it up. Please don't take that lightly. I can mess it up. You can mess it up. And so let's determine together, by God's grace, we are going to do what He, in His grace, has told us to do. We're going to model these kinds of relationships. And when we do that, not only are we going to expand this building, we're in turn going to expand our outreach. And people are going to see the love of Jesus. And by 
By your love will all men know that you're my disciples. And as a result of that, we will do some damage for the kingdom in Trent. And I look forward to doing that together. Let's bow together. Our Father, we thank you for allowing us to take this time to look into your word. And thank you, Lord, for giving us these words from your servant, Peter. Lord, I need these words. We, your people, need these words. We need to be reminded that this is the goal. This is the picture. This is the, the objective for us to become. Help us to continue to strive, as it were, as, as one man in Jesus to move forward to you and the unity that comes from your spirit. Help us, Lord, to be people who prefer one another over ourselves. Help us to be people who lovingly confront sin and willingly invite that kind of examination of our lives and deal with sin on a personal level and, if need be, on a corporate, congregational level. Because, Lord, we want to excise sin from our own lives and from our church because we want to be a radiant bride for you. That is what you've created your church to be. That is what we desire to be for your glory. And so, Jesus, make it so in us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.